The Space God Memoirs. Season 2, Episode 23 At last I was ready, or at least I supposed I was ready. I was once more at the helm of a starship. This one was a Nyar cube, its hull a muted steel, its interior sparse. I stared out through the window, at the open docking bay of the Amethyrium, the planets of the star system visible before me, like a necklace of gems upon the black. One of those worlds was Aruvis and I was about to go back. The past week had been spent planning for the mission, to get to Muntaki's hidden lab and retrieve the shift tech before the Veyer could. That was the info dug out of my head during the recent past life foray, the very motive those biotech bastards had for being on my planet in the first place. I was still trying to fully integrate that lot of craziness. The fact that I had been all those different people, with their own relationships, skill sets, and personalities but also the nature of Muntaki's shift tech itself. I still didn't know why the Veyer or the Nyar would give a scrag about some old tech developed on a farm world. Places like Aruvis were supposed to be primitive compared to our two galactic factions. But apparently Muntaki's discovery was different, and the shift engines could do things that not even the space gods could replicate. I figured it had something to do with that mysterious being of light who had inspired the old Doc's visions. Who had that been? More so, who was I? After seeing Janessa's life, I had gotten a distinct glimpse of something even prior to that. Some kind of existence before I'd come to Aruvis, even. There lurked a truth that not even the vaunted Savaharthas had been able to see. It was hidden, but at that moment I could do all of Scrag about it. It was hidden from me, too. So I had spent the better part of the week in more training. Meditating on the Atra. Practicing with it, much like Z, Jabir, and Damanya had shown me. A touch of telekinesis. A bit of body enhancement. And a good deal of practice with stealth. After all, I'd be flying us to Arubis for said mission. There were no other natural stealth mines in the area, so I was going to be the pilot again. Apparently my talent was a pretty rare one. Thus, I again sat in the command seat of one of those clunky cubes. Not my favorite Nyar model, I admit, but it would get us to Aruvis and back, and would hold everyone needed for the mission. Zirathra and Jabir sat in the seats behind mine, both tough to read. Jabir looked as cheery and playful as he ever did, his big tail bobbing in the seat behind him, and his reptilian face bent into something that looked like a smile. But he always looked like that and I hadn't the least bit of knowledge on how to read someone of his species. And, well, I wasn't sure that I cared to at that moment. Z and I would occasionally meet gazes as I glanced behind me. I'd feel a tingle then, a slight rush of energy across my skin. I couldn't help but think of her, of our fiery kiss back in that old temple complex, and the significantly cooler conversation that had followed. My sight lingered a bit on her form, 
on her seemingly delicate frame. Her subtle curves and flexible musculature, her sky-blue flesh brought out perfectly by the white one-piece she now wore. Zerathra had barely spoken to me since we'd had our little chat on the Amethyrium, near two weeks back now. Was I being shunned? I forced myself to stop it. I may have liked a girl, for sure, even if she also scragging infuriated me at times. But now was not the time or place for romance. Not with the Veyr constantly after us. The whole star system in chaos, and the bad guys occupying Arubis. My shitty love life was the least of my worries. Plus, at that point in my existence, I still barely knew who I was. My old life on Arubis was gone, for sure. I'd never be that tech scrapper again. But my new life had hardly started. I wasn't even sure if I liked the Nyar, let alone if I'd have a place among them. That and the fact that I'd just gone through three whole other lives, other versions of myself, made me a tad confused about it all. So, yeah. I knew I had to come to terms with my own existence some more before trying to connect with other people. But it was still frustrating. A circular door melted from the back of the vessel, and the final member of our mission team stepped through. The Manya. The bald, yellow-skinned woman was clad in a red jumpsuit. She wore a relaxed smile on her face, giving me a wave as she entered. You are fully updated on our mission, Demanya, asked Zerathra of our new addition. The lady nodded her hairless head in response. Yes, Salvahalf has granted me access in the monad. I have perused all of the mission details in the downloads. Very well, answered Z. Seconds later, Demanya sat down in one of the seven seats behind the pilot's chair. The mission, I thought to myself as I stared ahead through the view screen. I, too, had gone over all the details we had put together. The mission was simple enough. Get to Aruvis, avoid the Veer fleet around the planet, find the entrance to Muntaki's lab, and retrieve the data on the shift tech. My role was to make sure we got there unseen. Kino Bino. I grinned to myself, easing my back into the pilot's seat once again. I was pretty scragging confident that I could get past the Veer undetected. I'd done so multiple times in a ship even more in training. It even turned myself straight up invisible. I took a deep breath and pushed out the remainder of my doubts. Departure status, ready. I sent to the ship's mind, which had been waiting in a holding pattern until everyone on board confirmed they were ready to go. Immediately, the light on the deck changed from a neutral white to an anticipatory yellow. Making sure everyone else was secured in their chairs, I performed a connection to the ship's invisible mind which by then was becoming routine. My awareness experienced a brief expansion as I linked with the cube, connecting to the ship's systems, its supply of drones, and its sensors. I willed it to take off, the cube lifting effortlessly above the docking bay floor. My connections told me that an unseen hole had opened up in the Amethyrium's force field, directly in front of us. I was clear to leave. I did so, directing the cube forward. Soon, our vessel was floating in open space. Behind us was the enormous rosy gold structure of the Amethyrium, against the even larger backdrop of Gaxanol, the titanic gas giant swirling with yellow and white clouds. I barely noticed its tiny, vine-choked moon, where the ancient Nyar temple stood. I turned my view in the opposite direction, towards the inner reaches of our star system. From here, the sun, Mandia, seemed far smaller than back on Aruvis an orange sphere glowing in the center of my view. 
Around it circled the inner planets, no more than bright stars in my naked eye. As my vision hovered over each one, I saw its name appear in my mind. One of the benefits of being connected to the monadic network. Finding Aruvis, I focused on it and wheeled the cube forward. We coasted along, past the borders of Gaxanal's mighty gravity field, through several small patches of rocky debris. Sensing that the route ahead was clear, I flipped the cube into interplanetary flight mode, feeling the engines kicking in and the shields contracting. It wasn't long before Gaxanal shrunk rapidly behind us, the Amatherium and the planet's moons vanishing into smallness as the great gas giant itself receded into yet another yellow marble upon the black of space. I coasted the cube through the vast dark between the outer and inner systems, that same sense of displacement coming over me as I led us through the nothingness between worlds, feeling ungrounded, exposed, isolated. Yet there wasn't quite nothingness here. The Atra was everywhere, shimmering among the nether, outlying the otherwise black recesses and brilliant patterns, almost like rivers flowing between worlds. I kept my mind in the moment, watching the sensors, focusing on the constant accompaniment of the ship's mind, whirring along with its engine. The journey was easier than before, though I was still relieved to see the inner planets getting closer in my sights. Vuldria's green sphere was the first to pass by the viewport, followed by the blue-purple skies of Shivnar. Neither was our destination. I continued towards Aruvis, a ruddy ball in the distance that soon began to grow larger, then switched the cube back to a lower speed, the sensors telling me that my homeworld was drawing near. Before long, it was discernible, like a reddish clay ball hanging in the ethers, covered in patches of green-blue waters or lighter green vegetation with tiny clusters of whiteness around its poles. This world was home, or it had been, for better or for worse. Aruvis was a bit of a shithole, though it happened to be my shithole. But I barely had any time for reminiscing. The whole scragging planet was surrounded, swarmed by a mass of Vayar ships. I immediately fell into stealth mind, as did the cube. The so-called Eye of the Gods was still there, of course like some fiendish urchin of the skies, its spiny black metal mass blocking my view of a third of Aruvis. Just like when I'd left, the satellite was surrounded by a collection of smaller ships that darted about, some moving in steady formations, others going from the fortress down to the planet, or the opposite. But this time there were more, an uncounted number of huge worm-like vessels that hovered above the atmosphere, reaching their feelers into the clouds. The Clatanth. Zerothra's muscles tightened, her face drawing into a scowl. I knew what those ships had done to her adopted planet. They were world destroyers. Beside them were even larger ships, monstrous chitin-shelled abominations or wide-winged craft of an avian caste. They are blockading the planet, said Demania from the back, and drawing as much as they can from the harvest field added Jabir, gesturing towards where the Clatanth were sticking their feelers down into the atmosphere. Yes, said Zirathra. The Vayar act with much haste here. We know their goal is to discover Muntaki's engines. Beyond that, I doubt they care much for Aruvis. They have done worse to their farm worlds before. Then let's do this, I said. No use lingering here. The others all nodded in agreement. We had a mission to complete. 
Keeping to the deep parts of my stealth mind, I tried to push all thoughts out of my head. As I drifted forward, keeping my distance from the eye of the gods and concentrating on the planet beyond. Think small, humble, forgettable, easily overlooked. I was growing a bit shaky as I passed the eye, its immense steely spires swarming with crab-like viglae in reds and greens. Like when I had passed it before, there was something exuding from it. A dread. A sense of despair and horror. There was a pull from that dark fortress. Gravitational and mental. I could sense something beyond that pull. Someone. An image in my mind. That charcoal black skeleton of a man. His eyes empty sockets aglow with red embers. Gurvath, the one regarded as chief among the gods. There was a little animal part of me that wanted to move the ship towards it, towards him. No, I had done this before. From deep inside of me, I pulled out some confidence, bravado, courage. But at the same time, I needed to stay small, humble, stealthed. Could I do both? Yes, just like back in that test of reason, when Rayleigh had shown me I could divide my mental process between walking the maze and mapping it out in my head. The Nyar brain was better, optimized. Even back on Aruvis, I learned to jump between acting like a cocky dugga one moment and hiding like a coward the next. Now I could do it easier, both at the same time. One part of my mind focused on being small, another on being big. Gurvath could go scrag himself. I was soon coasting by. I reached the rest of the fleet with more ease, my confidence mind melting back into my stealth mind with a thought. In moments, I was coasting past the bulky Clatanth, and though the ship could feel their sensors reaching out to us, my stealth remained, and he signed my presence vanishing into its smoky aura. At last, the sphere of Aruvis expanded in front of me, the mass of orange and brown and green getting larger until I could see the contours of its rugged mountains and the outline of its remaining oceans, interspersed by sporadic greenery or swathes of land blackened by the retribution. Then we were flying over the plains, the rolling hills of green and purple grasses, the herds of wild dugga grazing below, the familiar sight of the old high road, the ancient railway that led from the southern shores all the way up to the now-flattened capital of Balnar. For an instant, it felt like I was returning home. I could see familiar villages pass rapidly away, catching sight of the roads I'd traveled for days on foot, or on my old cart with Gildar pulling me along. I got a pang of familiarity. Both Rayleigh and Burge felt the same, our commingling energies and thoughts bubbling from within. Ganadria approached. The familiar flat plains spread out below the ship, dusty and swept with winds, the grasses dry and brittle, highlighted yellow in the sunlight. Things were noticeably different, the land broken by the sight of towery, fleshy things, pillars of disturbing meat that were lodged into the ground, their tops throbbing with tentacled growths like some abominable land anemones. The closer we drew to the city itself, the more frequent they became. At times I would catch glimpses of troopers emerging from said flesh pillars, those red-clad Fizar, made of programmed slime molds. Then the city appeared, 
Ganadria had once been a fine sight to behold. A ramshackle town built around the ruins of a titanic robot. The great palace made from its hollowed-out skull. But now I could hardly tell it had ever been there. The entire length of the city, covered in a gelatinous membrane that resembled the carcass of some slimy, spineless sea creature, flopped like a tent across the entirety of Ganadria, and supported by fleshy pillars like the ones upon the plains. Just seeing the thing I wanted to vomit... The Veyer could be disgusting bastards for sure. What were they doing here? Were the people even alive? That question was answered quickly. As we flew closer, I could see lines down below, which the enhanced ship's vision told me were lines of people, clad in rags, and being led into and out of town by hundreds of those damn slime troopers. In the lower reaches of the skies, the Vigle patrolled, their crab-like forms darting on wings between the tented city and those pillars. They are being harvested, yes, said Jabir, shaking his head. What do you mean, harvested? I asked. The Ver are using the people of the city for stock, taking samples to enhance their living technology. They're killing them? Mostly no, but it is a painful process for certain. As a side effect, they can extract a more refined atra from the worst of the people's agonies. The Ver are truly savages. I felt a tug from inside, a sudden urge to turn the ship sideways and land, to fight them. I had the resources. So did my companions. We could do it. I knew where that was coming from, Bakibra. An urge to take back her homeland, to liberate her king, her people. It was a noble urge from a noble woman. I shared her sentiments. I agreed with her. I wanted to dive down there, free Ganadria, kick the Veyer's asses. A big part of me wanted to see Ven, Demer, even old Gildar the Rusha if they all yet lived. My heart ached at knowing that our lab was under all that ickiness, that Veyer filth, that the people were suffering. But Scragget, this wasn't the time for that. We couldn't liberate the damn city without the Ver knowing. And if they knew, there's no way we'd be getting this mission done. Nonetheless, I felt a strong pull towards Ganadria. For a moment, I wavered. As we floated towards the city, and I made a gradual right turn to the east, I could feel my stealth getting shaky. The ship began drifting towards Ganadria, pushed by an inner urging from me. Or rather, my unseen companion. Sorry, Bikibra, I sent to the voice within me. Not this time. Not now. I could sense her rebelling from within. A surge of frustration and injustice. But I pushed it back inside. Continued on. Stealing my will. And focusing only on the piloting ahead of me. But at that moment I realized that my stealth was gone. In my moment of distraction, it had fallen away. I scrambled to get it back, though a panic was erupting from my gut. Zerathra shot me a concerned glance. Kef, what is happening? I could see her arm reaching out to touch my shoulder. Then the entire ship shook with a flash of light. A beam of red energy shot through the cube's roof and burst through the floor below. A rushing pain erupted across my body as I was hurled backward and onto the deck. I grabbed onto the nearby pilot's chair and pulled myself to my feet. 
the cube transport was totally scragged, a huge hole through its floor and ceiling. The shields were at less than 10%. The systems were barely functioning. No way I could get this thing back into stealth mode now. But that was the least of my worries. Just looking out the window, I could see several Vigley approaching, the faces of their inset pilots visible on the undersides of their ships. Worst of all, we were falling, the ground rapidly getting closer. I rushed for the controls, hoping there was some way I could salvage this. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space God Memoirs. Space God is written, performed, and produced by A.M. Arctos. Original musical score by Alpha Colors. Various sound effects created by Industrial Strength Records Incorporated. Please support this podcast by following, rating, and sharing on your favorite social media site. For further info on Space God, its creator, and various other opinions, musings, and thoughts, go to www.spacegodmemoirs.com or follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. If you enjoyed the Space God Memoirs, please consider supporting us by becoming a patron. Check out the Patreon link in our description to learn more.